Legal Conversations. A big welcome to A-Team guest advocate uh, Tabo Mudisenyana, who is a skilled legal practitioner and uh, well-rounded. 15 years experience at the SA Navy and four years in corporate. So he's a man who can definitely help us when it comes uh, to such issues. Thank you very much, advocate, for joining us. Uh, good evening, Patricia. Good evening to the listeners. Well, um, to, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I see you I, still I, want I to about, greet us. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that it, it, it's the same by evening. I know RIP to um, Gade Don Matera and obviously the ANC's DSG. Somber mood indeed, right? But uh, no matter what is going on, we need to take uh, the good that they've left for us and the the way that they've uh, paved forward for us as South Africans. So today we're talking all legal things. Um, We're talking about the jurisdictions. Firstly, maybe define it for us as laymen so we have a better understanding and what it means when we talk jurisdiction. Um, uh, when we talk about jurisdiction, um, we're talking about the, the court's competency to um, adjudicate on, on a matter and give um, an order that is enforceable. So, for instance, you would know that um, um, in there are specialist courts like um, tax courts that adjudicate on tax uh, disputes, land courts that adjudicate on land and land related um, issues. Um, I think they're called land claims courts. And then you have maintenance. Then you have the high court, which has a, um, an overall um, inherent jurisdiction. And you have the uh, Supreme Court of Appeal. And then he has only appeals. You cannot go to the Supreme Court of Appeal as, as the court of best instance. Then you have the court, court prior to 2013, the, the Constitutional Court, used to hear exclusively um, constitutional matters only. Uh, but after the amendment of, of the um, Supreme Court Act in 2013, uh, the Constitutional Court now can hear um, both constitutional matters and any other matter that raises an arguable point of law of general public importance. Um, and to speak to, to that last aspect, you, you would remember the uh, General Counsel Bar of South Africa brought a case to the Concord against the former prosecutors of the NPA, uh, and, and Lawrence Mkwebi. And the Constitutional Court found that the GCB had failed to argue positively that that case was um, one that argues, or rather that raises an arguable point of law of general public importance. Um, so to, to give, to illustrate that very last point, um, there was a case um, that is somewhat opposite to the, the, the Mkwebi and, uh, and Jiba case, um, the, the um, Sasa versus Sasa and CPS case, I think it's called Opay, Opay case. Um, that would show um, the case where the, it, it, it touches on a constitutional matter, but also touches on um, uh, <clears throat> an arguable point of law of general public importance. All right, so Advocate Tabo, talk to us about, you know, when a sitting judge or a magistrate um, mm-hmm. is uh, presiding over a matter, what do they mm-hmm. look for in the jurisdiction? Mm-hmm. Advocate Tabo, are you there? 
I'm here. I'm here. Um, so the, the, they would first look at what can the court give an order that can be enforced. That's the second part. So the first part is is the court closed with authority to adjudicate the matter. You 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 would, um, for instance, take your land claims court. I mean, your land claims matter to a land claims court. Um, similarly, you cannot take a um, a claim for damages, for instance, outside of the jurisdiction of um, the magistrate court to the magistrate court. So um, the whole thing is the magistrate should satisfy him or herself that the claim before her that she will or, the, or that he will adjudicate on falls within the jurisdiction of that particular magistrate court and the Minister of uh, Justice and Constitutional Development um, would then publish every year um, provisions that uh, essentially tell us how much a claim must be for it to fall within the jurisdiction of the regional court or the district court. Um, and the magistrate must just make sure that um, that particular dispute or claim before her falls within her jurisdiction. Now, uh, is it okay, based on your article, for us to go to the currently much talked about uh, court case, um, that of uh, Senzomir, um, the court appearance and so on? I mean, can we use that as a case study when we are talking about what is acceptable and unacceptable um, of jurisdiction? Yeah, well, I suppose we could talk about it. It's actually an opportune moment for for um, lawyers to talk about it, and essentially not to to bash a colleague, and not to to give their own opinion how they would do it, but but as a as an opportune moment to teach the public about um, procedures um, that that um, must be observed in court. <clears throat> Okay, maybe when we are talking about, um, you know, removal or withdrawal of a client's application, is it easy for an advocate to remove or withdraw their client's application um, from specific courts, especially when it's high-profile cases, such as this one of Senzo Mio? Mm-hmm. Um, th- the simple answer is no. Um, it should not be even the question whether it's easy or it's difficult for um, any legal practitioner to remove a client's matter. Um, and, and I say this against the background that you, you must remember that um, a legal representative, whether it be an advocate or attorney, makes submissions to court on behalf of the client. He, he therefore has an ethical duty towards the client to pursue the client's case fearlessly without any concern um, about what happens to him or herself. Um, he also has a duty to assist the court at arriving at a just decision. Um, obviously, pursuing your, your client's case, you should stay away from pursuing hopeless cases. What, what should be the question, though, um, is, is it easy for um, a legal uh, representative to withdraw his or her services? And if so, in what manner should he or she do so? Um, and the first point uh, is, is exactly why I started when um, I answered the previous question. It, it, there's, an, there's an ethical duty both to the client and to the court. So in fulfilling this ethical duty, I, I, I would advise 
that legal practitioners first have uh, a discussion with the client to say, look, um, these are the issues I have. And I fear that I may not do justice uh, or I do no long- I no longer believe in the cases. And it would serve you better if you had someone who believed in it much better than I do and then have that discussion with the client and then the client terminates the, ma- the mandate or if the legal representative and the client agree that it's better than the mandate be terminated, then it'd be a decision that is taken with the full consent of the client instead of how it happened on national TV and in a manner that it happened with um, the, the, the advocate um, disrobed in court. Um, I certainly would, would not advise for that. Um, you know, when we look at such cases, I mean, one would tend to wonder, I mean, does the withdrawal from a case made by an advocate have any negative impact on the next advocate who might be willing to sit, I mean, that particular high-profile case such as this one in the Sanzomiwa uh, case? And if it does, why? Um, I, I, I don't know about the, would it have a negative impact or not. It, it, it would certainly depend on um, the facts that, that are um, in a particular matter. Um, but it, like I said, to rehash the point, it's not ideal to withdraw, um, especially if you would have done your due diligence, um, especially if you would have observed the, the, the rules of um, ethics, especially if you would have taken your time in taking on the case and having satisfied yourself that it's not a hopeless case, and that you're taking it for um, the ethical duties that you have to assist the court to arrive at a just decision. Um, how, however, the, the the negative impact may be if perhaps there was inadequate representation. Now the new advocate has to mitigate the damage that's been done, or if. Um, The representation was um, quite dissimilar to what the other person would, would, would want, the new advocate would want to do. Um, it may, may not be that the representation was inadequate, but the strategy differed so greatly that the new advocate or the new um, lawyers in essence care cannot um, mitigate. Um, then they have to either start afresh or it, it, it would essentially depends. It's quite a tricky question to to answer. But I I hope I'm making sense. Well, uh, as much as we need to understand, we are understanding. Um, Advocate Tabo, I mean, let's, I mean, advocate Defo, right? Um, Are there going to be any consequences for him for withdrawing from this case? I mean, we must be honest, there were some accusations that he made in court. Uh, Who's going to now stand for what he was accusing? Um, Who's going to investigate that? Are there going to be any consequences for him? I I, I simply do not have an idea. Um, But as for the manner in which it was done, it, it was... Um, done in a manner I, I would advise against, um, uh, setting would advise against um, drawing in that manner. I, I, I am of the firm belief that one one must withdraw first, having spoken with the client. And you must remember that as an advocate, your client is first the attorney, and then the accused or the the, the um, applicant or the plaintiff, depending on what proceedings you 
you are representing them on would be the attorney's client. So you must first disclose this to both your client, the attorney, and your client's client being the normal lay person. And then when the girl do so with the uh, normal dispassion, without the, the, the theatrics that, that took place. As for would there be uh, repercussions, I think that that is a question um, best suited for, for the legal practice council. Okay, so Edward Tabo, let's look at cases that have had an advocate withdrawal, right? Even such as this one of uh, Senzo Miewa. Is it possible for a case to remain a murder case, cold murder case, for a number of months and years if there's no advocate who's willing to represent the victim seeking justice? Um, so at the end of the question, um, the answer for that is uh, that I, I do not see how um, a, a murder case can remain cold because uh, nobody is willing to prosecute it. The, the National Prosecuting Authority has to, uh, has a constitutional mandate to, to prosecute. Um, it, it is not like I must be able to afford an, an advocate for a um, crime that has occurred that has uh, um, been rendered me a victim of a crime, um, saying if my mother were to be murdered, and, and I must go pay an advocate. The, the National Prosecuting Authority is there. They um, prosecute on behalf of the people and therefore represent the victims in pursuit of justice. Um, there are always exceptions, though, where a, a case is, is under a cold case um, because there isn't enough evidence and evidence comes in after, or like the Ahmed Timon inquest that um, was resuscitated a year or two ago, um, where a murder took place at the hands of the apartheid police. And um, this was during apartheid, and you, you, you may even go further and infer that perhaps there was some collaboration between the state apparatus that are um, central to the criminal justice system. And that perhaps will be the closest example of a cold case involving a murder. But in this constitutional um, dispensation, I, I cannot foresee how a, a, a case of murder can uh, remain a cold case um, simply because um, an advocate is not uh, willing to, 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 to prosecute. That's why we have the NPA. Okay, so uh, we are hoping that something will be done here uh, with this, but should um, a private investigator be considered if there's no advocate who is willing to take up uh, the particular case, and would it be a matter of private prosecution, or should a private investigator be, you know, the one to do the work? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the Criminal, Proce- Criminal Proceedings Act the, 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 the CTA um, provides for um, private prosecution um, and, and in, in instituting private prosecution, firstly, the NPA must um, declare that it will not prosecute. So they, they would issue what they call a nola prosecute. So the certificate declaring that the NPA shall not prosecute. Um, that happened, I think, in, in a matter of, of assault involving um, the former I mean, the wife of um, Zimbabwe's former president, um, Grace Mugabe, um, where the 
something happened and the NPA refused to prosecute. And then um, that other lobby group that represents the minority, um, they they have an arm that does um, private prosecution. That arm is led by the, the famous um, advocate who was a top prosecutor who was involved in that prestigious trial. So then the law does provide for private prosecution. Okay. Let's uh, leave it at that, Advocate Tabo. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. No worries. Thank you very much.